As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Off the road and back to the podcast. Here we go with a new VanCast for you. The Canucks coming off a four-game road trip, and they've got a four-game homestand ahead, an important one at this juncture of the season. And if ever there was a need for an emergency VanCast, it would have been late Sunday night after the bottom fell out on the Vancouver Canucks. We've got a lot of ground to cover to answer. Obviously, you weren't on that last road trip, but watched from afar as the Canucks started well in Montreal. And then things started to slip away, Ottawa, Toronto, and Columbus in the back-to-backs. Uh, a lot of ground to cover uh, on the ice and off the ice, too. Yeah, and, you know, the only problem with doing an emergency podcast on Sunday is that I wasn't answering your questions, J-Pet. <laughs> you weren't alone. <laughs> no, I wasn't. All right, let's look. The VanCast listeners, I, I've got a ton of people in my ads. People wanted me to ask Travis during his availability today. I have one person who's like, the VIPs demand you ask Travis. So we've got to get into this a little bit. I know that uh, I know that we probably won't get as deep into it as, as people might like, but... Let's uh, let's uh, let's hear the recap of your past 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not coming on the VanCast to spill dirt no matter what the VIPs want. There are certain situations that just have to be handled properly. And, you know, I think we've moved on past it. Uh, but, look, we devoted an entire podcast not that long ago to our dealings with the head coach. And I think I said then, and I'll repeat, that... You know, over the course of 82 games, I'm in his face on a daily basis, twice on game days, and out on the road is generally where uh, issues seem to arise because there's far fewer of us. And on this trip, you weren't on the trip. Harm was for the first three, but, you know, into a place like Columbus, uh, Ben Kuzma, Post Media, and myself, the only non-rights holders. And so it's a limited field, if you will, asking questions. And, like, from time to time, I suppose uh, the questions aren't received uh, the way I hope they are, or maybe they're interpreted differently, or I push one too many buttons, whatever the case. Uh, there was a breakdown in communication uh, that led to, I suppose, me being frozen out a little bit uh, over the weekend. Uh, we have patched up differences, moved on, and handled it, I think, the best way. I mean, it wasn't a good look for either one of us. I certainly didn't want to be uh, in the news. I like reporting on it, and I think at this stage of the season, uh, the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks has way bigger issues to deal with than a media guy, one in particular. So, uh, no, I mean, I, I think that 
we did what we had to do and and all things uh, are back on track so it, it provided a little bit of theater and some drama and i get all that uh and maybe in some ways uh, it turned out to be a bit of a distraction for a hockey club that uh, inexcusably given the way they were playing let that 3-1 lead get away in columbus and came home one and three off the road so Look, I'm, you're looking at me like you wanted more details. I'm just, I'm not going there. I'm not prepared to go there. Uh, I just don't think it serves anybody. I'm not here to uh, um, extend this. I mean, I've got a job to do, and part of my job is getting answers from a head coach, and so it didn't go so well on the weekend. Uh, but I hope here moving forward that uh, it'll go a little, a little more smoothly. Three quick thoughts, and then we'll move on. The first is you and Travis are both crusty as a roll of sourdough but I enjoy you both, so I'm glad you patched things up. Two, I do enjoy that having patched things up, you still didn't ask a question in the press conference today when he was on his best behavior. That's high-level shit. And three, um, look, I think the fact of the matter is, is, you know, green is challenging to deal with at times. I find it fun. I think you find it fun, too, and, and I'm glad that you guys are back to your uh, Sam and um, what's the other character's name? Oh, my goodness. The The two Looney Tunes characters that chase each other around and then at the end of the day clock out like see you tomorrow Fred see you tomorrow Sam you've invoked cartoons a couple of times here <laughs> on the van cast I'm not sure that uh, I'm on your level when it comes to uh, animation and uh, your love for uh, a good cartoon but I'll roll with whatever analogy you've got I, I was you had me at sourdough I like I like sourdough yeah. we, carbs is where we <laughs> Carbs, not cartoons. I, I'll keep that in mind as we roll forward here. All right, let's move along here because uh, there's a bunch of things that we have to get to. And, and we'll start with sort of the news of the day. And in fact, usually we record the VanCast ahead of practice. We try to, you know, get that part of the workday done right. and move on. But we both looked and said, look, they've put in an emergency recall to Utica. Jalen Chatfield and Guillaume Brisebois are up. Like, what the hell's going on? And we know that Quinn Hughes didn't play a lot in the third period as things started to unfold in Columbus. So we put the, the podcast on hold. Now we know uh, Hughes didn't practice, but he did skate on his own. So it was sort of good news, bad news. The bad news was he didn't practice. But the good news is we saw him on skates, and he looked pretty mobile. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. But the fact that they had to bring up guys from the farm certainly indicates that you know there are issues here, and Tyler Myers didn't skate either. But I don't know if it was the coaching staff having a little fun, if it was uh, just a new look, but all season long, uh, when guys have participated in practice coming back from injury, they've worn the non-contact jersey, which is a gray practice jersey. So you and I are here early. We want to see if Hughes is going to be out for the skate. And out comes Oscar Fantenberg. Gray jersey non-contact and we both look quickly get the thumbs going and Oscar Fantenberg's you know in a non-contact jersey <laughs> and the race was on as you could tweet it out fastest <laughs> and as we both look up he's been joined on the ice by Alex Edler and now we're like okay well now we know who the two injured right Edler's side. wearing gray as well right Ed, they're both in gray so it's like all right now we know there's two non-contact Canucks defensemen taking part in practice and then then Chris Tanev steps on the ice. He's wearing gray. And to your credit, before I could tweet it, you're like, hang on, wait, wait a second. You're like, something's not right. Let's make sure we see a defenseman in either blue or white before we go down this road any further. And so uh, sure enough, uh, you know, called off the dogs on any further tweets about injured defensemen. 
and then Stetcher came out, and then Jordy Ben came out, and they were all wearing gray. And for the first time all season, all of the defensemen, the full complement of healthy guys, were wearing what are usually the non-contact jerseys today. Those were just for the defensemen. So I asked Troy Stetcher after practice why they were all in gray, and he said it's because they only had five. They didn't have a full retinue so there were no pairs d are supposed to just jump in on drills whenever you're ready so because there's no pairs to distinguish they all wore a separate color to indicate that hey when you're stay fresh but when you're ready to go you got to come in and, and skate so that was the reason for the uh, you know sort of technicolor assortment of jerseys on canucks practice ice uh, but quite funny and then of course i, I made a tweet about louis erickson and jake for who's sort of flip-flopping in the lineup uh, over the weekend was, you know, obviously noted by a Vancouver market that, you know, has unrelated, but I just I have this thought that I want to run by you really quickly. Within five months over the course of the season, we've gone to how can Louie and Travis work together after this summer in which, you know, there was a back and forth in the media and they seem to blast each other. And clearly Travis has no time for Louie's contributions to <laughs> Travis is a bad coach because he plays Louie too much and won't take him out of the top six. Like that, that sort of reversal has got to give you whiplash, right? No. Yeah, absolutely. Is that not crazy? Like it's crazy to think of how quickly sort of that's changed. But I also think it sort of speaks to, and, and we'll get into this more, the, sort of knife's edge on which Vancouver's success has been built that you know Hor ultimately without Levo in the lineup Erickson's the guy he trusts to be with Horvat when they're playing those tough matchups and you know he, he tends not to want to play Vertan in there so you know obviously they changed that up in Columbus I thought that line looked pretty good I'd expect based on the color of the jerseys if not the pants at practice today that you know Vertanen will get another look on that second line but it's just so funny that we've completely reversed, or this market anyways, completely reversed their criticism of Green over this specific player who, in fairness, is the target of even more criticism. But, you know, without sort of accounting for the fact that, like, pretty obviously, if there were other options, Erickson would not be in that spot, right? Right. And so Faber, who was the last guy through in the Botchford Project and did a remarkable job and a great read, and if you haven't had it, a chance check it out uh you know just a full-on tribute to to jason botchford and when we spoke and this didn't make the article but he asked me he was like all right if botch was here when you think of everything that's happened this in this season like what would he be ranting about and like we hadn't you know pre-discussed this i didn't know that question was coming and without skipping a beat i just said like we're at game 60, and Louis Erickson is still in the top six on this hockey club. He would have rants for days about that. And, you know, there are other issues, obviously, but I, I just don't think there's any doubt that that would be right at the top of the list. But, look, I'm with you. I, I thought that there could have been changes to the lineup earlier on the road trip. I thought there was a potential coming off what I thought was a subpar defensive performance in Ottawa. I thought that maybe there was an opportunity to get Jordy Bannion uh, against the Leafs. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily need Zach McEwen to go in in Toronto, but 
you know, four and six is a heavy workload on anybody at this stage of the season. I know that Antoine Roussel is taking a fair bit of heat right now for sort of just a, a lack of, of contributions. And he took the, the late penalty that uh, ultimately was the, the dagger uh, in Columbus. So, you know, it took an injury to Jay Beagle to get McEwen into the lineup, but I thought that there was an opportunity for lineup changes. Anyways, I think it was the right move at the end of the road trip to put Jake with Horvat and Pearson. And what I really liked, and it was low-key because, I mean, so much happened as the game unfolded and, and really the story was the final seven minutes, but coming off losses in Ottawa and Toronto, quick turnaround. Travis Green doesn't often start Elias Pettersson and his line. Like, quite often, he'll sort of take the conservative approach and put one of his checking lines out. You know, he doesn't know what's happening. He has to fill out first. But I thought that was a, a master stroke of coaching to turn to Pedersen and Miller and to Foley and say, you guys are starting. Like, I need you tonight to have some pop right off the bat. And he followed that shift with Horvat. He, he basically turned to his top two lines for the first two shifts of the game three shots, a post, a drawn penalty, a power play, and a goal in the first 60 seconds. And I think it was a result of some good coaching to run those guys out early to set the tone. They're the leaders. And sure enough, they did just that. And again, for 52 minutes, it was a terrific performance. Like, I mean, we should be sitting here today raving about so many things they did at the tail end of a trip to salvage the road trip, to come home with a little bit of momentum. But Obviously, you can't because they flushed all that in seven and a half minutes. Yeah, and you know, Green today said he thought they had one bad shift, and that was obviously the Wierenski re-entry that resulted in the Riley-Nash goal. And fair. I mean, I actually think that's fair. I don't think they played badly. Like, this felt a lot more Washington, the Washington loss in late October, than it did the Pittsburgh loss in late November, right? Which was really an abysmal defensive performance, like a true meltdown. This was a meltdown results-wise, not necessarily in terms of the actual form on the ice, maybe in goal, but, uh, you know, I don't even think, like, shit happens, right? That was that felt like a shit-happens game, and I think where it becomes concerning is, you know, this isn't, this is a time here where you can't afford to have shit happen, and a lot of shit is happening right now to the Canucks. Markstrom injury, obviously the, the Besser injury, you know, those were within a week of one another, and then you've got, you know, this road trip that sort of gets away from them, the 870 goaltending on a, over a four-game stretch, and now they come back and, you know, two emergency recalls would suggest that 3D of their, you know, Myers and Hughes mispractice, but presumably an additional defenseman who skated a normal practice shift today is also pretty banged up. And right, because Jordy Ben took the warm-up on Sunday in Columbus, which was a sign right there that one of the guys that ultimately played wasn't quite right. Yeah, so clearly there's something else up there, and, you know, that's a lot that this team needs to overcome, and then you throw in the psychological element where it's like, you know, Ottawa was unacceptable. You come back with a better performance in Toronto and do nothing with it in terms of, you know, banking points. And then you go into Columbus, you play, you know, one of those games where the Canucks look like they're firing on all cylinders and get nothing for it in the most devastating possible way in the last eight minutes. And, you know, this team's responded well typically to this sort of adversity, but, you know, I do wonder what happens now where it's like where where they've gone through this moment where they've the Columbus game was the response game and it didn't matter. And you just wonder if they might be a little fragile 
especially if there's like an early bad goal when they host Arizona on Wednesday? Right. I would go a little further and think, I mean, yeah, they need a good start, but what happens if they get to the third period and they've got a lead and Arizona closes? You know the nervous energy. Like, I think, look, they've got all these home games. They're still in a pretty good spot. They've been a really good home team, but, you know, excited energy can turn to nervous energy in a hurry. Especially in this building, right? We've seen that. This building can go from imposing to an ally of the visitor pretty quick. Right, and you don't have to go back that far. I mean, they've been lights out for most of the season, but uh, that Anaheim game on the Sunday afternoon, they weren't very good. You know, not that long ago, they had a 3-2 lead with five to go against Minnesota and let that get away and ended up losing in a shootout. They got a single point, but still, you know, these are examples of points that have gone by the wayside now that they can't get back, and they have played themselves back right into that thick playoff mud, if you will, of a whole bunch of teams. And... You know, three left with Arizona. Uh, they still have two left with Vegas. They've got Calgary. They've got Winnipeg on the schedule. So, like, it's all there in front of them, but they ultimately have to, to hold up their end of the bargain. So, you're right. Like, I'm curious to see if there is a lingering and lasting effect of what happened in those final seven minutes in Columbus because one of the great disappointments, I think, was they squandered, like, a masterful performance from Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. Like, Miller's play has been at that high level. Pedersen's production had dropped a little bit, and I think I was a little more concerned than you were uh, just because the expectations are, I mean, he's raised the bar so high of, of what's capable, what, he, what he's capable of, what's possible, and we hadn't really seen it other than a point here, a point there for the last 10 games or so. But, man, he was dialed in. I talked about that early shift, you know, a goal and two primary assists. He's in on all three of the scoring plays, as JT Miller was. Like, they were going. And I made this point on the radio that, you know, even at 3-3, like, just get it to overtime. Because I felt like the Canucks' best players were having such a good, strong night that things would swing back in the Canucks' favor. Because, let's be honest, I mean, outside of Zach Wierenski, Columbus doesn't have a whole lot in their lineup. Or at least they didn't, you know, with all the injuries that they've got. And so the Canucks just had to had to find a way to get that thing to overtime and take their chances, knowing that they get a single point and have the opportunity to to win the bonus point. But uh, shoulda, coulda, didn't, and here we are. And so it is going to be fascinating. I mean, Travis Green always talks about this young team, and the best players are young players. But the other night in Columbus, it was the veterans. I mean, Sutter and Roussel take the penalties. Uh, the penalty kill was Edler. It was Tanev. It was JT Miller. Myers was part of that as well. Uh, against the 26th ranked power play in the NHL that hadn't scored two goals in a game since late November. And somehow the Blue Jackets prevailed there. They just needed a kill. Like if they'd gone one for two, if they'd gone 50% on the night on the penalty kill, they'd probably win the hockey game. Yeah, and, and so uh, here's some sneaky, quick, quick sneaky takeaways from my couch where I watched the games, right? Because I, I wasn't in attendance on this road trip. Some quick sneaky takeaways. First of all, the Canucks... X goal percentage, right? So expected goals percentage controlled in, on that road trip, 53%. In fact, they were outscored by six over four games. So that speaks to 870 goaltending more than anything, though also their finishing luck was pretty bad. Among the guys whose finishing luck was the worst, Tyler Toffoli. Tyler Toffoli is typically not a percentage driver. He's not an elite poacher. He is a guy who shoots a lot, and, and relies on that volume to, to score his goals. He had 
23 attempts in four games. Almost six attempts per game. Like, that's ridiculous. But you know what? That line, they played excellent hockey throughout that four-game stretch and probably deserved more for it. The line that secretly hurt the Canucks the most, the Bo Horvat line. And I think that sort of adds pertinence to the questions about the lineup because if you look at Bo Horvat over that trip, I think the Canucks were outscored by five. One goal for, six goals against with Bo Horvat on the ice uh, over that four-game stretch. That's really tough and, and quite a reversal from what we saw them do to the Boston Bruins where that line drove the most dominant performance we've seen out of this team you know, just like just eight days ago. They were at their absolute best. They were at their absolute worst on that road trip. The Canucks cannot win if that line's not playing the way they were. And look, forget the closer thing. I mean, playing and controlling play the way they were at five on five when this team was cooking with oil after Christmas. And the last one, Quinn Hughes, not stunned to see that he's maybe banged up a bit considering that, you know, the Canucks gave up five goals with him on the ice, five on five over the course of that trip, scored 0-4. Uh, that was not the, you know, Calder Trophy procession that I'd predicted publicly uh, prior to the trip. I-, I might be, I might be saving my takes for a bit, at least until the noise and the and the sturm and drang calms down around this team. Yeah, and I do wonder if there was uh, a lasting impact of the Max Domi crosscheck to start the road trip. I mean, it was the first, I think his first shift of the night in Montreal. Uh, you know, Domi got him pretty good, and you could tell that he was feeling the effects there. And you're right, he, he just, he wasn't as electric as he's been all over the ice uh, in either Ottawa or Toronto. Man, there was uh, massive scrums around Quinn Hughes, as you can imagine, in Toronto. And, you know, that's where he dropped the, the quote to Ken Campbell of the Hockey News. Uh, we can touch on that, uh, and I'm sure he would have been asked about it had he been available to the media here uh, after practice today, but uh, you don't practice, you don't have to deal with the media, so we didn't get a chance to talk to Quinn Hughes, but I mean, that was a, a tasty soundbite or uh, quote that he, he gave the Hockey News, to, to be sure, but, uh, and then he took the heavy hit along the sideboards with 10 minutes to go in the third period, and that was a, sort of another part of the collapse of the Canucks was, uh, he just didn't play. He went a long stretch there in the third period where he didn't play. He doesn't kill penalties, but even after, you know, look, the power plays didn't last very long, and there was opportunities, and so I think that's another indication that, you know, he wasn't quite right. He was talking to the trainer or was on the bench. I was watching from the press box uh, and monitoring that situation pretty closely. So, uh, you know, for their sake and for his, you hope that he's able to go with a couple of days of rest here they need him obviously hate to think what this team might look like down the stretch like it it does feel you know you mentioned Markstrom you mentioned Besser there are other injuries it does feel like they're at that point where one more key injury might be that piece of the Jenga puzzle where everything comes tumbling down before we move on I want to take a moment to tell you more about the great things going on at the Athletic the Athletic is home to 400 of the best sports writers out there covering every major team in every major league in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Of course, baseball season is starting up. If you want baseball coverage, we've got you covered here at The Athletic. The news cycle never ends in the National Football League. It's a 12-month-a-year thing, and of course, we're all over that at The Athletic, too. Simply put, we have the best sports newsroom on the planet, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can see for yourself by signing up for a free trial. Head to theathletic.com slash the 
VanCast to save 40% on an annual subscription. That works out to $3 a month for total access to some of the best sports coverage in the world. So what are you waiting for? That's theathletic.com slash thevancast to save 40%. So, you know, you talk about Horvat, and, and I mentioned this on one of the pregame shows on the radio over the weekend. He hasn't scored an even-strength goal since January the 12th in Minnesota. But his season is quickly taking on this really bizarre uh, composition that he has now become an elite power play finisher. Like, he's among the league leaders. I think he, I haven't checked today, but like I think he, the other day he was tied with McDavid and Austin Matthews for power play goals. But this is a guy, Drancer, that we followed remarkably closely, game in, game out, from mid-December, or mid-November to mid-January, he couldn't buy a power play point, and now he's become one of the league's best finishers on the power play. Like, it makes no sense at all. I think it makes sense. I do. <laughs> I think it makes perfect sense. I'm telling you, it makes no sense, I, damn it. I think this is why it makes sense. When the Canucks have Bess, had Besser and Pedersen on their one-timer sides on either flank, that's not a position that's typically very easy for them to make plays to Horvat, especially from the left side where Besser is. Pedersen's a little bit better at sort of skating backwards and, and handling the puck than, than Besser is, but either way, it's a tough play, and it means that in the bumper spot, Horvat's a deflections guy and a retrieval guy, more like Antoine Roussel is when we see them play um, you know, with two righties uh, on either flank, including a, a righty on his weak side to his left. So that one-timer option that he scored that Montreal goal off, that slap pass goal that he scored, what, what game was that? That was Toronto, right? Or Columbus? Columbus. Those options are not available when you've got two guys on their strong sides. Um, with Horvat, when you think about when he's done his damage on the power play, you think about the early season road trip, right, that went through St. Louis where he got that 5-on-3 expiring, it's now a power play goal. But he had the goal against New York that opened the scoring on that big rebound game, Markstrom's first game back from his first Swedish departure, and then the hat trick, but two two power play goals out of that. And both of those were similar from that bumper slot. Since Besser's left the lineup, Besser, uh, Bo Horvat's on a tear of power play goals because Miller's moved over to his strong side on that left circle, that left flank, that opens up a ton of playmaking options for him to Horvat. Um, and, and obviously, as, as Green pointed out today, it opens up the slap pass from the other side. That's been the key in reactivating Horvat's goal scoring. End of the day, Horvat's production, Horvat's whole season's been a little bit odd, but this team, to be at its best, needs Horvat in that form at five on five, like more than the power play goals because there's enough talent there that they'll get goals somehow. But more than anything else, Bo Horvat, five on five, when he is crushing it, when he is matching up and winning those tough matchups at the top of the lineup, this team's awfully hard to beat. When he's not, they are a team that can stay in place. And and that's what's happened, I think. That's certainly what happened on this road trip, or at least part of the story. Though everything that wasn't top end was magnified because of 870 goaltending. Yeah, and it is funny. I mean, the difference one result makes. I mean, they come home two and two. It's not an ideal road trip, but oh, every win at this stage is massive. Yep. Uh, and it, it, I think playing back-to-back, -back, you know, coming off the loss in Toronto, you know, and I've made the point, too, that the Ottawa loss, the Toronto loss, and even Columbus the other day, like during that run of 14-3, and three, 
those were games they were winning, right? Like, they were in all of those games. Now, Markstrom played a big part in that. But more than that, it was just back during that stretch, they could do no wrong. Like, they, they would find ways to win those games. And, you know, then you look at the way things unfolded for them. Like, you know, the Marincin goal, Martin Marincin of all people scoring. And, you know, that was a bad goal on Demko. Like, he, he had to redirect the original shot to the corner once the puck hits the post behind him and then he gets turned around and... Uh, but, you know, even they were laughing along press, press row. I mean, it, you know, this is a guy that hadn't scored, I think, since the last time there was a February 29th. Like, I think it had been a, a leap year cycle since he had scored a goal in the National Hockey League. So, and unlike the hero, and, and I think that was part of the frustration, too, for the Canucks was, you know, Austin Matthews was on his game and he scored. He scored a bad goal, too. But, you know, it, at the end of the night, it wasn't Matthews and Marner and Tavares that each had three points and they had, you know, killed the Canucks. It was Frederick Gauthier and it was Martin Marincin against uh, basically a glorified AHL defense that did the Canucks in that night. So there were opportunities along the way there. Uh, we know that they didn't find a way to generate the points they needed. And so, you know, now, and we talked about the fact that they've been a good home ice team, but because they haven't been able to get results. And I still think if they're going to be a playoff team, and I think they will, I I still maintain that they're going to get there. But I do think that they're going to have to win probably two or three more road games along the way. Like, I don't think they're going to run the table here at Rogers Arena. And so that's going to put some pressure to get results away from home. And they haven't been very good of late, as far as getting results uh, go. They haven't been very good. But it also ratchets up the premium on these home games. And pressure does funny things to hockey teams well and this four game stretch is tough i mean the blue jackets again you know at the end of the day the canucks outplayed them significantly but that's a hard-working team an honest team they're going to come in and give an honest effort and that's hard like that's difficult especially with the goaltending that they're liable to receive night in night out the arizona coyotes the new york islanders like these are difficult teams to break down really really competent you know sort of defensive clubs you've got Tampa later you've got two against Vegas like this is not you know you're you're sort of looking at that California back-to-back maybe but there's not a lot of gimmies here there's no Detroit games there's no you know uh, Ottawa games right there's nothing there's nothing yeah those aren't gimmies they're apparently not, no they're not uh, so it's a tough league Jeff no the uh the at the end of the day this is this is gut check time and the Canucks need to recreate that Columbus game, and they need to recreate it eight or nine times, but just close it out the way that they were closing out everything, you know, on that stretch where they sort of built themselves into into a team that, you know, really should be bound for the playoffs so long as they don't blow a flat here over the last 17. Well, I mean, this is what they play for. Like, this is fun. This is, uh, you know, this whole idea of meaningful hockey in March. Uh, they didn't accomplish that last year. Uh, they are playing meaningful games. We know that, and we'll see how they play out. But, I mean, I think for the players, uh, they got to embrace the opportunity. And, you know, Travis Green talked about uh, this is the best time of year, obviously, to be a coach. Uh, and I think from the media standpoint and for fans, too. Like, you know, it's there for them. It's all still there in front of them. But ultimately, they've got to get out there and get it done. So uh, we've joked throughout the year about Game 81 in Glendale. Oh, yeah. There are two games against the Coyotes before then. And the first one is here on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't think there's been this kind of anticipation for a visit from the Arizona Coyotes maybe ever in the city of Vancouver. Insanity that this is coming down to 
these meaningful games against the Coyotes. Two quick things. One, the Canucks have a chance to, you know, not to, not to use something as grim as this, but to essentially put a stake through the heart of the, the Arizona Coyotes' playoff chances. Like, this Wednesday night game, the Canucks need to get back on track for obvious reasons, but the Canucks can lose that game and make the playoffs. The Coyotes... The Coyotes, like, their margin is done. There's no margin for them anymore. Like, this is as close to must-win as it gets this far out from Game 82 or Game 81. And the other thing, real quick, that I, that I think is worth pointing out is, you know, as bad as that road trip was, I do think, like, I, I had probably more negative podcasts during their winning streak, right, <laughs> than, than I have today. And I do think that's reflected by the form we've seen, you know, in front of their goaltenders. Like, by rights, by form, they probably should have had two or three more points out of that road trip. Maybe four. And, you know, luck has abandoned them right now. Saves have abandoned them right now. And they've had more than their fair share over the course of the season, so you can't sort of point to that. You can't point to that as something that they you know, are due to continue to receive. But I do think that this is, there's more reason for optimism coming off of this road trip than there probably should be. And I'd expect they'll come out, play a decent systems game on Wednesday when they host Arizona. I'm telling you, you're getting choked up. The emotion, it's, uh, you can feel it. It's building here at Rogers Arena, Canucks, Coyotes. Let's go make it happen. Uh, oh, and by the way, thanks for talking to me. <laughs> yeah, well, once we sorted things out, I decided, um, you know, that it would be it would be great, good, yep. <laughs> for Drancers, Jay Pat, thanks so much for listening to a VanCast as things heat up for the Vancouver Canucks. Down the stretch they go with Arizona in town on Wednesday night. That's going to do it for, for the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.